Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney E. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast, our first preview of the 2023 AFL season proper, a massive round one coming up over the next four days. We're here to dissect every little bit of it. And uh, when I say we, I mean myself, uh, who I think you know after this long, and my uh, esteemed co-host who made a cracking debut um, in the season preview edition last week. Um, but he's going to, as, as uh, Jack Dyer would have put it, he's going to make an even better debut today. <laughs> as we welcome to the microphone, Rodney Eade. How are you, Rocket? Very good, Rowan. Thank you very much for that uh, for that intro. But uh, looking forward to the season. It, uh, it's come around a bit quicker than other seasons, obviously starting early, and uh, which is great. Uh, be interested to see how how teams are up and going from uh, from round one. I, I, we seem to say it every year, and I've I've just written another season preview in the last few days. But I, I don't think I can remember another year where there are as many legitimate flag chances as this year. I, I've got seven. And that even might be a bit conservative. I've seen some people who claim there's at least 10 legitimate flag chances. But how do you see it? Yeah, I don't know if there's 10, but I think there's, you know, certainly can be six, seven or eight. Um, you know, it's going to depend on injuries. I think that's going to be a really big uh, factor this year, especially with the competition so close. But uh, the form and the momentum swing. So, yeah, that um, yeah, which is great. I mean, the, you know, I think generally we always pick the previous Premier as the red-hot favourite. Where I think they may be favourites for this year, but they're not red-hot favourites. There's enough challenges that of the next three or four can really have got legitimate chances. So uh, if Richmond get their act together, Carlton get their act together, Fremantle get their act together, I know they're probably long shots, but by the same token, they can really challenge. And I think even down the other end of a ladder where there are sides we don't think are any chance, there's something to get excited about, be it, you know, a a rebuild or a new coach. I mean, and I'm talking there about Alistair Clarkson at North Melbourne, Brad Scott at Essendon, Adam Kingsley, GWS, you know, Ross Lyons and Kilda. So everyone, even the clubs that aren't expected to do well, they've got something to enthuse about, haven't they? Yeah, it has. I think the, the, the main word attached, I think, all sports, but certainly AFL from a supporter point of view, is hope. Yeah. I want to go each weekend with hope that we think we're a chance this weekend to win. Even if you're, you know, you're, you know, you're two and seven. You now, now the way we're progressing, we're improving, we're a, and we've got hope. Once there's no hope, well, then the backside falls out of everything. So I think most teams, uh, if they set realistic expectations, and including North and Hawthorne and West Coast, uh, I think there's a lot of hope for most of the teams. Well, uh, it should be a fantastic uh, launch to the new season. Uh, we're going to preview every one of those nine games in full. Before we do that, though, a bit of news floating around. Uh, let's just dissect that. On Footyology News Feed. Well, obviously, the season start, very exciting, and that's probably the biggest news of the week, but um, some pretty serious stuff going on in the background, and it's an issue that's been... Um, well, bubbling around for a while now, but I think uh, it's not going anywhere. And uh, I think the events of the last few days ensure that we're going to be hearing a lot more about it. And that is concussion. 
um, a lot of players going back as far as guys who played in the 1980s who've um, had some major life issues as a result of repeated concussions in their playing careers. And uh, that is now being played out in a legal sense uh, with a couple of lawsuits being filed last week, one by an AFLW player, interestingly enough, Emma Grant of Collingwood, Liam Picken, Western Bulldogs Premiership player, he filed a suit in the Supreme Court last week. And um, literally in the last 24 hours, former Geelong Premiership player Max Rook is the lead plaintiff in a class action being filed by a law firm uh, which claims that he suffered permanent life-altering injuries as a result of concussion-related injuries and due to the negligence of the AFL. This class action encompasses a long period uh, stemming from or ranging from 1985 up till now. It involves seven or more players, uh, it says. That's interesting. I wonder if more are going to be added to that. Um, the AFL is rightly very worried about this. Now, they uh, released a, an extensive new concussion policy on Tuesday. Um, that involves uh, $2.5 million of funding a year over 10 years to study the ramifications of concussion and how it can be best prevented, et cetera, et cetera. The concussion protocols are being tightened up further um, and probably the main thing there, that 12-day mandatory resting period will now be strictly enforced. There's no escaping that. Interesting byproduct of that, really. That's probably the concussion is probably the main reason the medical sub came back in. Um, and the the 12-day protocol thing, sort of uh, the, what, what's the word, nebulous sort of wording of that allowed a bit of a loophole, which was exploited. And now we've seen the sub rule um, become a, an open slather thing. So one of those unintended consequences uh, things, again, as happens a bit in footy. But the concussion stuff is obviously the important thing. Um, the AFL would be, uh, the legal people would be very worried about, uh, well, you know, being potentially bled dry by a whole raft of claims. But um, it's pretty serious stuff, Rocket. And I guess, I mean, as a, as a guy who played in that era, I'm not saying, you know, you, you've been a victim of this stuff, but um, it's it's food for thought for anyone who played in the past when heavy knocks and potential concussions just weren't treated as seriously. Oh, there's no doubt about that. No, his stories of David Parkin, David's 80 now, but him he had 27 concussions in his time as a player. And in the old days, and uh, certainly Hawthorne were known as a... a as a tough side and, you know, you get up and you don't complain and an injury above the shoulder doesn't count, that um, that was mentality. You know, you not only get knocked out that game, but you come back on, come back on the ground. So uh, they, you would think there'd be a, um, a case there for actually looking after players or giving the wrong information or giving the right protocols uh, or the wrong protocol. So I think going forward, um, I think the AFL will keep tightening up uh, so they're shown as if there's duty of care and there's due care. Um, and I'm a bit like Nathan Buckley. I imagine there'll be part of the contract too that going forward, that if you play, you know the risks of concussion. If if the right protocols are followed, you know that um, accidental contact can happen and you, know, you may get hurt. But I think there will be a case really for past players because there's no doubt that 
players were pushed back out onto the field or allowed to play the next week without the due rest. Well, I mean, the list of players now who over the last, oh, I don't know, 10 years or so we've seen talk about, um, you know, the very disturbing effects of, of repeated concussions on their lives post-career, it's getting quite extensive, isn't it? I mean, right off the top of my head, I was thinking we, we've had uh, John Barnes, John Platten, Greg Williams, uh, Sean Smith, uh, Dean Kemp. Um, now, I'm probably missing a few there, but... Uh, interesting. A lot of them are, are very prominent, you know, champions of the game too, aren't they? I mean, Platten and Diesel, yeah. um, Brownlow medalists, uh, Dean Kemp and Norm Smith medalists. I guess those on-ballers, those sort of ground-level on-ballers seem to be the ones who have perhaps suffered the most. Yeah. Another one, and you mentioned him, Sean Smith. I was at Northwind uh, as an assistant coach and Sean was there. And even in those early days of him, he, he, would, have, he would have a fair bit of concussions because he – he didn't have the spatial awareness around like Kaczynski as well. So they, they they leave themselves open. And in fact, he flew a lot for high marks, hit his head on ground and that sort of thing. So, uh, and and you read articles on Sean that he said he becomes disorientated and he, you know, his personality changed a bit. So uh, there are some ramifications that have happened with these players. Uh, and I would think there'd be more players if they look forward who, who continue to get headaches or uh, things have changed because of the concussion that they've had in their while they've been playing. And I think maybe the the lawsuit is around the duty of care and uh, being able to uh, give the right advice to players. And as I said, I, I don't know what stage it's really changed or what year, but I know in my playing days and certainly well before that, you were probably encouraged to actually get back out, back out there on the field, which is obviously detrimental to your health. Were you ever concussed? Yeah, a few times. I probably had three or four. Um, yeah. Uh, and continued playing. Um, I remember being knocked out in a final one time, got King hit from behind and uh, went off. And then you, know, you, you get your faculties back, you're a bit foggy, but you go back out on the field. So, um, and I think that was commonplace, to be honest. I, I would have thought most players in my era would have, that's at, at some stage, would have had the similar experience. So you were King hit in a final. Hmm. I'm not going to let this one go. Who? What was the game? No, I better leave the person alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you might. Oh, well, he's from sub- behind. I don't know if King hits the right phrase. So okay, I, okay. You you behind. might be the subject of a class action if you pursue that one. He's um, from behind. I'm t- I'm tipping. I, w- I won't push you, but I'm tipping. There's every chance it was one of those. It, it was. I bet it was either against Essendon or Carlton because I don't think you guys played anyone else in finals over that journey, did you? Uh, no, it was another team. But anyway, we'll leave it alone. Oh, okay, <laughs> all right. Okay, one one more on this because it's a. It's an important one. Um, do you think the inevitable uh, upshot of this is that all players end up wearing protective headgear? And and if that were the case, is that a, a big deal? Yeah, I don't know. I think more uh, expertise, expert advice has got to be given from the medical. You know, one of the things we've heard from medical people is that the helmets don't help that much. Yeah, I mean, it's got to absorb some of the contact, I would have thought. Um, uh, but it'll have to be uh, the medical people, what's the right phrase, how... I mean, it's a contact sport, so there are going to be some head head contacts. I mean, it's just part of... I think what the AFL have, have got to do, that trying to eliminate as much as possible like uh, inadvertent or indirect contact that, you know, bumping or they put themselves in a... You know, the duty of care is shown. Um, they, and the AFL have done a reasonable job on that for a while now, but they probably just need to tighten a bit more. I think 
this class action is generally from players, I would think, got advice from doctors or they're feeling foggy, say, like I was, and you actually actually go back out on the field where we know now that's not the right course of action. So I think it would be uh, – that would be more the things that they'll be looking at. All right. Well, we're, we're probably uh, – well, not probably. We're definitely going to be hearing more about that, and I dare say we'll be talking more about that as the year goes on. Interesting segue, though, about uh, changing attitudes because this next bit of news – involves that and uh, it's about a player and the impending birth of his first child and we're talking about Jeremy Cameron Starge along forward who was interviewed during the week um his partner Indiana is uh due I think between round one rounds one and two but you know obviously uh yeah, uh, babies aren't uh, aren't um, wedded to timetables necessarily, and uh, he did talk about the possibility of either missing a game or indeed uh, starting a game, but then doing a bit of a a dash at half time. Um, Sam Rocker. To oh, did Sam Rocker do that? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he arrived late. I think he the birth and he came to the. I think it was the other way around. I think he got there at half time or whatever it was. I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I was going to ask you about this because, I mean, there's no doubt attitudes have changed on this one. And the one I remember most is Daniel Bradshaw of Brisbane. And it was before the two th- they played Carlton in the 2000 semi final. And I can remember um, he didn't play and the Lions got thumped. And we spoke to Lee Matthews after the game and he was <laughs> less than pleased, <laughs> less than pleased about his Star Force decision to. To miss the game, I think. In fairness to Lee, I think he's since said, "Look, he would have um, had he had his time over again. He might have seen it differently." But um, I don't know. Any thoughts on this one, Rocket? Well, I think society's changed, hasn't it? And I think that was the probably one that the most celebrated, if that's the right word, or the the most uh, uh, highlighted one in the media. And I think you know we've become a society and a, certainly a football industry that you're, you're more accepting of that. So. Um, and uh, most players, you you read about it, the impending birth, saying that they that they'll be there for the birth, especially the first child. I think that's probably uh, probably a hundred percent conversion rate. I would have thought uh, from now on. So they get into the second or third. Well, I don't I don't know. I think that's uh, I think players are a bit more open to it. But it's fine. I mean, families come first, and that's what clubs preach and. We preach the connection and preach, you know, we're all in it together, et cetera, et cetera. So I I would think there'd be no uh, there'd be no repercussions or hard feelings if if a player like Jeremy missed a game, that's fine, or he had to leave a game at half time. You know, I was the fourth of four kids. By the time I came around, my old man just left a phone message at the hospital. We said, <laughs> oh. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My uh, late father no longer here to defend himself for that is absolutely not true. That was just a cheap shot. Um, you know, the the other example I was thinking of, though, was uh, when a berth is impending and the player plays. Um, happened with Darren Jolly in the 2006 grand final. He played for Sydney, flew down late, I think, on, on the morning of the game. Didn't play well. Um, of course, Sydney lost by a point to West Coast. I wonder if, I don't know, like if you're coaching, and I want actually has this happened with you, if you're coaching and there's a player who's due and you know it's preying on their mind, are they better off just missing the game than potentially just, you know, disrupting not their own 
not just their own preparation, but your plans, you know? Yeah, it's a good point that historically uh, players whose preparation is not ideal and it's upset by whatever the case may be, whether it's worrying about family situation or it's a tribunal that's been delayed till the Thursday or the Friday and court case or injury or whatever, generally they don't play well. It, I think it will depend on the individual um, and how important to the team that individual is. Uh, I know it's a cricketer, but Shane Warne had the ability to compartmentalise and put every problem in its box and not interfere. Uh, and there'll be some footballers who can do that. But there'll be some footballers, as in, in general society, that it all mixes together. So whatever problem they've got off-field affects their on-field and affects everything else. Actually, you had, uh, just came to me then, Andrew Dunkley in the 96 grand final. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was thinking of. And because uh, obviously the the tape mysteriously um, appeared on a Tuesday at the AFL house and uh, there was a court injunction. So there was a stress level of whether he was going to play and whether he was going to go to the tribunal. And there's no doubt his his preparation was uh, was interfered with. So by the Thursday, I think he was okay to play, but he hadn't slept much. His sleeping patterns were all different. So there's no doubt that affected him for the weekend. And he was subsequently suspended when they did have the hearing. And I, I always wondered if you guys had won that game, whether after he was suspended, North would have challenged the result in court. Oh, maybe they might have found another tape somewhere as well. <laughs> so, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's all moot now, isn't it? But uh, in, interesting. Anyway, uh, that, that of course, was a tribunal matter. We're talking about the birth of a child, so it's a, a little more joyous uh, thing to talk about. But um, good luck to Jeremy Cameron and his partner, Indiana, of course, the birth of your first child. Far more important than a football game. And as you say, our attitudes have changed. All right. Uh, there's enough news. We've got enough news going on with the um, first round of the season. Time now to drill down in depth on every game in round one. On Footyology Previews with Punch. It all kicks off with Richmond playing Carlton Thursday night at the MCG, 7.20pm. Let's uh, have a good look at who's going to win this one and why. First of all, their 2022 records, the Tigers, 13 wins, 9 losses and a draw. They finished in 7th spot, of course, losing a thrilling elimination final against Brisbane. Carlton, 12 wins, 10 losses. They finished ninth, of course, infamously knocked out of the 8 at the last second in that last home and away game against Collingwood. History against each other. Well, uh, the Blues won this clash last year. That was indeed their first win over Richmond, believe it or not, since the 2013 elimination final. They'd lost 11 games in a row to the Tigers. Uh, Richmond won the return clash in round 14, and that gave them 12 wins out of 13 against the Blues. What about the MCG? Well, the Tigers have won nine of their last 10 games there. Blues record there isn't great. They've lost five of their last six there. Now, we've got a bit of news on injuries and availability, but before we get into that, Rocket, your initial thoughts on this one? Um, my initial thoughts, that it'll be a close game. I think, uh, contrary to a few people like yourself, um, I think Richard will be fighting for a spot in the eight and probably with a Carlton, maybe a Fremantle or maybe a Port. I, I can't see them being top four. But having said that, uh, with an older side, 
that they've got, and I reckon there's two or three that are probably just about um, over the edge. Um, I think they'll be okay early in the year and see why they're fresh. So I, my early thought is I reckon they may get up with a big crowd. I, I just think uh, uh, initially I think Carlton may be finishing ahead of them at the end of the season, but uh, Carlton have had injuries. Carlton have had a bit of interrupted. It's a bit of unknown only playing really one practice match. I mean, we've had uh, another game against a team, which is, what do they call it, uh, uh, just a little bit of kick around, really, and playing uh, different spots. So one game. So there's a bit of unknown, and um, and uh, so I um, I just think Carlton's interrupting preseason will count against them early. Well, uh, in terms of player availability, Richmond has had a few guys under a bit of a cloud, but uh, the news the last few days has been pretty encouraging. Of course, we are doing these previews prior to team selection, but uh, Dion Prestia. Uh, he's expected to be available. He's had a pectoral injury. Marlon Pickett, uh, Jaden Short, he's had a calf. Uh, Jack Graham, he's had a toe injury. At this stage, we believe they will all be available for selection. Ivan Soldo won't be. And uh, Josh Gibkus, very promising young player, I think definitely part of their best 22 now. Um, this is an interesting one. A hamstring uh, surgery wound, which got infected. And that's setting back a few weeks. Uh, a couple of debutants for the Blues, always exciting. Uh, draftees Ollie Hollands and Lockie Cowan, both earning a call-up for their maiden games. Uh, you mentioned the Carlton injuries. Uh, the most um, obvious ramifications for them, the absence of Sam Walsh, Jesse Motlop, another one who will be uh, touch and go. Robbie Tarrant, of course, Sir Richmond, another player who won't be their key position Defender, I guess Walsh is is the big one uh, for Carlton, isn't he, Rocket? Um, I I don't know. I can't make up my mind about the Blues. They were pretty solid for most of last year. Yeah, they were. Yeah, but but, but I, I'm yeah. saying there's still a question mark. Jack Martin's the other one that's missing. Well, well, okay. So my my question is because I'm asking myself, what is the question mark? Uh, yeah, I don't know what the question because they were quite good competitive as far as contest ball last year. Contested ball, they were quite good. They were a tougher side. Their back line to me seems suspect. Uh, Wheatering had a fantastic year, but and that and we know Doherty's a terrific player, but there's just still that question mark for me down back. Mm. Um, and while their midfield did really well, except for Cripps and Walsh is now out. They haven't got any star factor. They've got workers. Lanchera may become a may become a star, but Hewitt, he had a good year. Kennedy had a good year, but they're you know, they're working like. Yeah. And I just think if Cripps is not right or he gets an injury during the year, it just is just a bit of too much of a question mark for me about what's the next level to be able to lift up. And I think they need all the they're a team that I reckon. Need to be competitive as far as contest work, but their top six need to play well or be there. And if they're not, I don't know whether the players underneath are good enough. Yeah, I mean, their forward stocks are obviously very impressive with, uh, well, the, the last two Coleman medal winners, um, Charlie Curnow and Harry Mackay. You've got to get it in there, though, don't you? And I guess yeah. that's... Uh, and, yeah. and to that end, I mean, with this matchup specifically... This is what, what I – it's easy to be seduced by names, isn't it? But I really, really like Richmond's picking up of um, Taranto and Hopper. Just not only 
adding to that midfield depth, but just the greater um, uh, flexibility it gives them elsewhere, i.e. Dusty Martin able to play almost as a permanent forward now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I think that's right. But but also it gives them that flexibility too of playing Dustin in the middle. So, you know, he's their weapon that, you know, cherry on the top that can go in there. I don't think he'll be a permanent forward. I think he'll – and when he starts in there, he'll be like there'll be someone covering for him that used to be Lambert. He'll be just hang around and play forward of centre. So they've still got that flexibility. And, you know, Lynch has had an interrupted program. He will need to fire Jack Rewalt's. Might start the season okay, but I, I I don't think Jack's on the downhill slide. Cotchin, they're playing forward. He's really a midfielder. So I think there's enough questions about them for me. But as you said, Taranto and Hopper are really good inclusions. Uh, two-way runners win the ball. Hopper's not as good a kick, um, but certainly they're a forward momentum side. So both those players being a forward momentum players will help their forward line. All right, I'm sensing we're on the same page for this tip. Your uh, tip and margin, please. Uh, Richmond by 11 points. All right, I am going to go Richmond by six points. And uh, you've slipped into the Robert Shaw pattern here. This is a a stupid little thing we had here, but I always tip my margins with an even number and Shawy always and Mark Fine before him went with an odd number. So I might hold you to that one too. Go with an odd number. Hopefully... Hopefully it won't take you too long to work out what an odd number is. I've had that struggle occasionally um, when I've been a bit shabby of a morning. All right, there is our first game done and dusted. Uh, massive game to open the season, but there's also a massive game at the MCG on Friday night. Let's talk about that one. Big Friday night clash at the MCG. 7.40 is the kickoff, and it's Geelong playing Collingwood, a rematch of last year's qualifying final between those two sides, which was a cracking game. So let's hope it's somewhere around that standard. Uh, The 2022 records of these two sides, the Cats, of course, going all the way, uh, 21 wins and just four losses from 25 games. And the Pies, what an outstanding season, their first under Craig McRae. They finished third, just a couple of points away from a grand final berth, 17 wins and eight losses for the Pies. Uh, the Cats, they're still on a winning streak. Uh, if you remember, they won their last 16 games last year, beat Collingwood twice. Only narrowly both times, though, 13 points in round three when they came from five goals down at three-quarter time. Jeremy Cameron starring in the last quarter comeback there. And, of course, as I mentioned, qualifying final, six points in an absolute thriller. They have won seven of their last nine meetings with the Pies. And the MCG, both those teams play there a fair bit. Cats have won 11 of their last 12 at the MCG, which was a bit of a problem ground for them uh, a few years back, but they've certainly addressed that. Collingwood have won 10 of their last 11 at the MCG. So it's a venue both these sides like. Uh, The Pies clearly are able to push the Cats as close as anyone, if not closer. Um, This has got epic written all over it, Rocket. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think it'll be another belter. I think... uh... As, as we said to the previous game, it's hard to get a hand on their pre-season uh, form. Um, so you're going a bit on past uh, experience from last year. Um, whether Hawkins plays, uh, that'll be, even if he does play, he's going to be underdone to a fair bit. I, I, I'd I have a doubt whether he'd play. And I think that may swing it a little bit to Collingwood. Collingwood to me, except for Elliot and maybe to Goey, 
don't know if they've got a regular goal kicker. That's going to be. I know McStay's come in to take some pressure or pressure off my check, my check. But they're both to me third tools. Mm-hmm. They're not a first or a second uh, major uh, major goal kicker up there. So that's going to be an issue for them, for them. I think. Just on that too. I mean, I might have mentioned this last week, but it's interesting to me their senior recruits from other clubs. They they're sort of similar, I think, in nature to a lot of the players they've got. They're now, i.e., they're workers, not necessarily stars. I mean, it seems weird saying that about Tom Mitchell, given he's a Brownlow medalist. But you know, he's an accumulator. Yeah. Similarly, Dan McStay, he's a he's a workmanlike forward in the in the same manner as a Brody Myerchek. You know. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Hill's the one that may give them something if he yeah. if he can be consistent and he's young. Frampton, we don't know about. So, but you're right. Uh, Mitchell and I mentioned last week. Mitchell is, is I would think, will have strict um, instructions about how he's going to play. And it was interesting when they played Hawthorne. I don't know if you noticed, or anyone watched the game. There was a time Mitchell got the ball, and because in AFL we always talk about closing the space, go and attack the ball carrier. They all dropped off him. Hawthorne didn't want him to handle. They wanted him to kick the ball, and then mm. he kicked it up the chimney and it went to a contest. So obviously Sam Mitchell's instructed his players for Tom Mitchell. Just force him to kick it. Don't don't let him handball. But for him to be an addition and a value for Collingwood, he has got to handball. He has got to set. He's got to set Collingwood. their outside runners. If he doesn't do that and wants to kick it, I don't think he's going to be much value to him. So it'll be interesting to see how he plays. Uh, but I think it'll be a great game. I really. It's it's always hard to go past Collingwood. Uh, so, sorry, Geelong. Always difficult to pick against them, but. I reckon it'll be real close, and I wouldn't be surprised it went either way, but it, it'll be difficult to pick against Geelong. Well, they weren't at their sharpest um, at the start of last season, were they? Remember the um, the Buddy Franklin 1000? Uh, yep. What was that, round two? I think they dropped that one. They dropped uh, incredibly now, it seems. They dropped a, the Easter Monday clash against Hawthorne. That's a good point on Hill. I'd, I'd actually temporarily forgotten about him, and he could really give the pies a bit more Dash couldn't he? The other thing I'm hoping is that Frampton um, really becomes a key part of that side because the more I hear that name, the less likely I'm going to um, be to have that stupid Frampton comes alive line going through <laughs> my head. Like seriously, that album came out in 1976. Can I please get over that stupid musical pop culture references? I hate them. Um, look, I, you cannot go past the cats, can you? I mean, uh, interesting in list terms. They haven't got a lot younger. I was having a look at their average age. Last year it was 25.7. It's gone all the way down to 25.5 now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if any, they have freshened up the list, though, really, haven't they, with the addition of Bose and uh, Brune and Henry? Um, oh, well, I think that'll be an interesting aspect of the game, how Colin, because Collingwood didn't want to lose Henry, and they, I think there was a bit of angst about him going. So, yeah. Uh, whether he gets targeted a little bit, because obviously he can play. Um, whether Bose gets in, I think he's probably the less likely one of the new recruits to play. I think Brune will be in front of him. But yeah, they've they've actually added players rather than just kids. They are young, but they've already been in the system two or three, four years. So um, so they've they've got experience in their youth, if that's is that the right phrase. So um, I, I I have to pick Geelong. But it wouldn't surprise me, and I think your point's a valid one. Early in the season, they played. Now their their gap from 
uh, starting training to anyone else is is the is the least. Um, they haven't had as much work, so I that they may work into the season. You now they may take a while to get to get going, but it'd be hard to pick against them. Uh, just a, a couple of personnel issues. Lipinski uh, is unfortunately for the Pies going to be missing for about half a season now. He's had to have a shoulder reconstruction. Maynard missed that game against practice game against Hawthorne, but he will be back. Uh, and for the Cats, um, Jack Henry, uh, Collajasny, and Menegola all been ruled out of the first game. Of course, don't forget the Pies missing Jack Ginevan as well, uh, serving that suspension. He's not back until round three. Um, yeah, oh, look, I think it's going to be close. I, I would have I would have said that even if the Cats were, you know, sort of in their stride because I just think the Pies know how to, how to test them. But I am going for the Cats here. Geelong by 10 points for me. Uh, what say you? Cats by five points. By five points. Sorry, what was your margin in the Richmond game? 11, 11 points, wasn't it? 11. That is an odd number, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it is. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep going with the odd numbers. Yeah, good. Uh, all right. Uh, so massive Thursday, Friday night clashes and uh, full booker games on Saturday. Let's have a look at them. Well, the first two guys we've previewed have talked about what uh, is likely to be happening at the top end of a ladder. Fair to say this one is talking about the other end. North Melbourne playing West Coast. Marvel Stadium, 1.45 Saturday afternoon. The Roos, their first game under the coaching of Alistair Clarkson. West Coast coming off a miserable year last year, or miserable for both of them, both uh, winning just two games in 2022. West Coast finishing 17th and North Melbourne 18th. Um, Now, a fair margin behind the rest of the comp, these two. In fact, the next... Uh, lower side on the ladder had four wins more than either of these two teams who clashed once last year and that resulted in a win to North Melbourne by 15 points at the same venue and that was uh, a greater win that was because that was when West Coast, well even I nearly played for West Coast that week, Rocket, I was close (laughs) Um, they they had most of the list missing at that stage. Uh, Some important team news here too. Harry Sheasel, highly rated draftee. He will make his senior debut in this game. Um, Still got some personnel worries, which we'll address a little bit later though. But uh, what are your gut feelings, or not just gut feelings, what's your head saying about this game, Rocket? Um, Yeah, I think you mentioned it previously about the other end of the ladder. I've got similar thoughts from the top end of the ladder, but for the obviously the... Uh, for different reasons that I think it'll be close, but I don't know who to pick. Yeah. If it was in Perth, I'd definitely pick West Coast. I think with Oscar Allen back, it's going to help their foot. I know Kennedy's going to be a loss. Nat Nui not playing is going to hurt them. Their their biggest inclusion inclusion is going to be Elliot Yo. I mean, he he could be the difference. Uh, He's the star player. Um, He could really uh, light them up. Depends how fit he is. Um, so I'm not too sure. I think North is the unknown as well. Um, obviously, McKay out um, hurts their defence. I honestly don't know who to pick. I'll probably go for North under the new coach, bit of enthusiasm, playing at home. The crowd will be a bit bigger than we think. Um, I just think North maybe be able to get over the line. West Coast, I think, talking about up to four debutantes. Um, you mentioned Kennedy. I mean, uh, that that is obviously had to retire at some stage, but that's a massive uh, out for them in terms of their scoring power and it 
it ups the ante so much on Jack Darling. Um, he hasn't had the fullest of pre-seasons, uh, not guaranteed to play, although I think expected to play. Nat Nui, major absentee, as you said. You know, my my reservations about West Coast are the same ones I've had for a couple of years now, which is they keep introducing new talent, but I'm not seeing a lot of it that's really knocking my socks off for you. No, no, I know I agree. I think they're really rely on the, the older players. I just I mentioned Elliot Yo, but Shuey's the other one who didn't play much last year. So you've got Yo, Shuey and Kelly now in the midfield. So they've they they and they've got Gaff on a wing. So they've got some quality back there, but they're all that bit older and have been out out a year. So if they can fire, I think that you now they can win this game. But there's not much you know, Ryan is a bit hit or miss up forward. We know Oscar Allen's just back. Cripps can kick a goal. Where are they going to kick enough goals? That's that's going to be the issue. But uh, with Mackay out, that obviously helps as well. There, you now, there's so many arguments for and against for both teams who could win this game. So I'm going for the emotion. I'm going for uh, playing home, new coach, bit of enthusiasm, up and about. Supporters will be there um, in their droves rather than the normal North Melbourne crowd. So I I think they may get over the line. That said, um, I think North Melbourne has some personal issues as well. And look, their, their depth is thin. And to that end, the uh, absence of key defender Ben Mackay, I think, is a major worry. He's out yep. with a, a foot injury. Uh, and the other one, and we, we don't, well, at the stage of doing this preview, we don't know. But Cam Zerha, I think, fifty-fifty uh, with a calf injury. Oh, well, I, I, well, that changes. That can change the dynamics a bit. Yeah, because he's he's one of their stars. He's in one of the best five or six players. And with him and Larky, that and now Shoes. Well, I know he's only a kid, but that gives them a bit of uh, firepower up forward. If he if he's out, that puts a lot of pressure on Larky, and maybe so. Maybe it's going to depend on who's on the field and. Uh, uh, and then Zerha doesn't play, that's a big out. Yeah, the, look, the other um, factor I'm thinking of here is my, my feel about West Coast is that they're not too bad at um, Marvel, generally speaking. Um, you know, I, I think their record's about 50-50 over oh, a long time now, but I, I seem to... It just it, it feels like they're when when they're on the road, they're be, some of their better performances have been at Marvel Stadium, so... Um, yeah, look, it's a big game for both, isn't it? Because we both we think they're they're both going to struggle to get too many wins up, and and this is a great chance for either of them to get on the board. So, yeah. um, big stakes attached. Yeah, look, I'm I'm really struggling to come to a decision on this one. Look, I think in the end, um, I don't know if this is an upset or not, to be honest, but I'm going to go for West Coast to win this one. I think they can uh, just sneak over the line and uh, I'm going to go West Coast by. Two points. What say you? Well, your news on Zerha has got me, honestly, that's how close I was thinking. And I was going with the emotion, as I said before, with Zerha doesn't play. I think West Coast can win this. Um, so what I'm doing, I'm being Nostradamus as far as uh, the medical department. Um, so Zer, if it's a calf, he's more than likely not to play. If he's 50-50, that means in um, in club speak, Club speak, say his 80-20 means he's probably 50-50. Right, Club yeah. speak is 50-50 means he's not playing. Um, so I'll go for West Coast for um, 13 points. 13 points. And uh, shocking revelation from you there, Rocket, that clubs lie about injuries. I, I, <laughs> I can give you a few hints on that, young club speak, <laughs> which we all know. But um, if he's saying he's 50-50 means, no, nah, he's not playing. 
I'm truly shocked to hear that. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, that is the uh, first game on the card on Saturday. Let's talk about the next one. Uh, Twilight on Saturday, 4.35 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Adelaide Oval is the time and venue, and the teams are Port Adelaide taking on Brisbane. Intriguing game, this one. Port Adelaide's 2022 record, they finished 11th with 10 wins and 12 losses. Brisbane, of course, getting through to a preliminary final, a finish of fourth for the Lions under Chris Fagan, 17 wins and eight Losses Now, Brisbane's record against Port of late, pretty good. They've won the last five meetings between those two sides. Interestingly, though, four of those have been at the Gabba. Uh, so how do they go at Adelaide Oval? Um, well, not too bad of late. They've won three of their last four appearances at Adelaide Oval. Overall, though, their record is only 3-7. So um, they've got better as they've become more familiar with the ground, uh, Port Adelaide last year on their home ground, not great, 7-5, and five, their win-loss record. Uh, Brisbane, well, plenty of talk about them and their flag prospects this year, Rocket. Port Adelaide, I was just thinking as we were talking about them then, or I was talking about them then, I've heard, I think I've heard less about Port Adelaide this off-season than just about any other team. Now, we know they've added Jason Horn-Francis to the mix, Junior Rioli, uh, joining them from West Coast. But in terms of, you know, can they improve again? Are they on the slide? Uh, not hearing a lot at all. What What are your sort of thoughts on Port Adelaide? Well, I think Port are a bit of that unknown. I think most people have wiped them because of where they finished last year. But when they were 0-5, three of those games were actually actually competitive. They they didn't lose by a lot. Um, and that can always be the way. So I... I I wouldn't discount them for the eight. I haven't got them in the eight, but I wouldn't discount them that they could push up. Now they've uh, with Rioli in the team now, Dixon, Marshall. They've got Georgiatis. If Fantasia plays, they've got some goal kicking ability. Um, I think their worry is going to be the other end. Um, and uh, you know, Alier, Alier is a good player. Jonas is a good solid defender. Burton's okay. Houston had a good year, but there's no real stars. So if a talented forward line, what worries me about this game, talented forward line like Brisbane, have they got enough to be able to cover them? Now, their defensive system is going to have to be spot on. Their midfield is going to have to work extremely hard. Obviously, Rosie will go into there. They've got Dersma. They've got the younger kids that have been there now three or four years who need to take over from Boak. Wines, but he, you know, we know what the way Ollie Wines plays. Horn Francis, whether he gets time there. Powell Pepper. They've got some... Armory to go through there, but not the star status that has been. There's probably Rosie's now stepped up to be where Boke was. Um, but I think Brisbane have got greater depth and greater talent in that midfield to be able to have more inside 50. I think at the inside 50 entries uh, will, will tell the difference. And I'm sure that Brisbane will have more inside 50 entries and have, a, have I think, their forward line's more dangerous. That to me, that last point you made about Port to me is the um, the most salient one. In that, yeah, Horn Horn Francis, good addition. Powell Pepper really has become a, a key player for them. But you're still talking about Rosie Dersma and Butters being able to go up a cog and become, you know, perform to the level week in week out that we've become used to Boke and Wines doing. Yes. And, yeah, I mean, look, they're good, particularly Rosie last year, you know, really good contributor. 
But unless they can get to that bulk wine sort of level, I don't think they have enough sort of top liners chipping in, uh, certainly up against a, a midfield or a, a mix, a, a roll call of stars, the likes of which Brisbane have got, don't you think? Yeah. No, I agree. No, that Robbie Gray was obviously on the downslide last year and Boak certainly can't keep his same level up. Just his age is going to say that he can't. So that they need those three players you mentioned to be able to step up. They've got a that's what clubs are doing with their recruiting. It's the kids that come in and you know they might have an influence, but it's three, four, five years down the track. That's when that you want them to take over if they're good enough to be able to be leaders. Wines did that early. Um, now we want uh, Rosie to, and he did that towards the end of last year. But is Dersman Butters good enough uh, and, and consistent enough to do that? Powell Pepper, as you said, is taking his foot another level, but he's a scrappy kick. You now he can kick a goal here and there. He's, he's a workman like, he's a hard worker, he's tough, but he's, he's not the polished midfielder, Lockie Neal, who's going to turn the game. And I was just thinking about Brisbane's personnel, uh, you know, gee, they've got some talent on that list and it's been supplemented further, hasn't it, with the addition of Dunkley, who, who just balances out further that midfield. It just gives them a bit more sort of hard-working, hard-running quality. And Gunston up forward, and we talked about him last week in the season preview, one of the smartest players of the modern era, really, in terms of forward craft. That's a massive... And you know the other addition for them um, that no one's really talked about, but I think it really adds something is Connor McKenna. Just uh, yeah. that springboard rebound off half back. I think that could be crucial for them. Oh, I think he'll really improve them. Rich is not a he's a springboard for kicking, but he's not a run through the lines. Coleman's come on really well. What they're going to miss is Adams. Not that he was a superstar, but Andrews is their key uh, defender. Jack Payne, hopefully he can jump up, but. When you're playing against Dixon, Marshall and George Yardis, if they're getting enough uh, ball coming forward, that was my point earlier about the inside 50s, their defence may struggle, Brisbane. That's going to be their Achilles heel. Uh, they're probably against the Geelong and Melbourne, certainly down the track. They're going to probably need another tall defender. They'll probably need three of them to be able to play like that. And maybe an interceptor is one of them. Now, they like to play Andrews as the interceptor, but he's probably got to play on the best best forward. That's that's a good, really good point. You think they might get away with it though against a side like Port, which doesn't necessarily have the height there forward setups. I mean, Marshall and Georgiades more that's right. mobile, Marshall's slight, and he's no, he's a little bit tall. But Dixon's the the monster, so Andrews takes him. Payne may be able to take Marshall, but when they play against other teams, they'll probably need somewhere to manufacture a, a taller defender to be able to cover them. All right, uh, tip and margin, please. Uh, Brisbane for me for 17 points. Okay. Uh, Brisbane for me as well. Uh, gee, I've had some narrow margins. Yeah, I'm going to, well, comparatively make this one a blowout. I'm going Brisbane 18 points. <laughs> um, well, you've got to keep it interesting, don't you? All right. That is the uh, Twilight Clash. We have uh, two Saturday night games to talk about. <laughs> Hey guys, if you like the Footyology podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney Ede, you'll like the ESPN Footy podcast with myself, Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels and champion data's Christian Jolly as we break down all the big storylines in the AFL. Back to the MCG Saturday evening with another monster clash. Uh, Melbourne taking on the Western Bulldogs, 7.25pm. Rematch, of course, of the 2021 Grand final, Melbourne's 2022 record, 16 wins and eight losses for a finish of fifth. 
did finish top four but went out of the finals in straight sets. Uh, the Bulldogs uh, limped into the finals and straight out again. 12 wins, 11 losses. Their finish was eighth. Um, yeah, look, you, you think about these two sides, Rocket. You obviously think about that memorable grand final in Perth. Bit of water under the bridge since then. Both, um, I think it's fair to say on last year's efforts, both underachieved, but um, plenty of bullishness about both of these teams. Um, this this should be a ripper, this guy. Oh, it should be, it should be a cracker, really. That um, And whoever loses at this game, I, I wouldn't get too stressed if I was a supporter of that team. I think uh, only if it's a blowout, then you might think, oh, we've got a few more issues than we thought in the preseason. But um, I think it's two evenly matched sides. And I think with the height that the Bulldogs have added, we'll uh, test the Melbourne defence, who we know is one of the best defensive units in the competition, especially their team defence. May plays it really well. Petty's come on to be a really good player. Lever, as we know, can drop off. But if they play three or four tools, I don't think they'll play four at any one time. Everyone talks about four, but I don't think they'll play four, maybe tinker for five minutes or so. But I think one or either will be on the bench. Darcy may play back a little bit. Uh, I'm interested to see where they play Josh Bruce as well down back. So how they get that balance of that team in now with Waitman and Jones out, they haven't, they've lost two of their crummers up forward uh, with speed. So it's all about balance. Uh, you can't, you know, you can't just go all, all, all of one or all of the other thing. I have it all smaller or tall. Um, so it'll be it'll be an interesting one. Again, it might come down to the midfield. You know, whether you know Jack Viney if he's right to play. The Western Bulldogs, we know, have got a fantastic midfield. Um, I don't think they'll miss Dunkley as much as other teams would miss a quality player like that going out. I think that'll enable Bontempelli to play more midfield rather than forward. He was he was the makeshift forward last year to help them kick goals. He replaces Dunkley in the midfield. So him, McRae, Smith, Trelaw. So they've got Liber. So they've got a really good a really good group of midfielders. And Beveridge clearly rates having that deep midfield rotation group. I, I interviewed uh, Bontempelli at the captain's day and he mentioned um, during the preseason that both uh, Cody Waitman and Caleb Daniel have been taking spells through the midfield. So um, he's very keen, Bevo, to sort of keep that flexibility happening. Bont thinks he'll spend more time midfield, and you'd expect that given how much height they've got up forward now. We talk about these two being evenly matched. The stats bear that out. The record is 6-4 to Melbourne since 2017, including that famous grand final win, of course. Uh, Melbourne have won seven in a row. Sorry, won seven games in a row at the MCG 2021. But of their last eight appearances at the G, they've only won two. Um, which is interesting, and that reflects that second half of the year drop-off last year. The Bulldogs haven't been as good at the MCG as elsewhere. Their record there since 2018 is just three and six, so a couple of potential factors there. I think a, a big factor you mentioned before is the absence of both Waitman and Jones. Who's going to play that crumbing role for the Dogs at the feet of those tools? But... We've worried the the Achilles heel for the defence for the Bulldogs, I think we've agreed, has been their defence. They really couldn't have done a lot more to address that, could they? Uh, uh, William Jones, a a great pickup, I think. And Josh Bruce, he sort of has to go back there now, doesn't he? And I think he can play some decent footy back there. And Alex Keith, of course. So uh, Gardner's another one, although he's out at the moment. Um, But you're looking at their defensive stocks now, and they don't look quite so... Thin. I think there's an evenness about them in all parts of the ground now. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think you you made earlier about Caleb Daniel, you know, he was a defender who was really that attacking defender because he used the ball so well. But throwing through the middle and then probably throwing him forward because he's such a smart player, he's got a good move. Now, they've got Bailey Dale and Richards and Jure down there as uh, springboard type players. But this is where they play Sam Darcy. Um, having uh, been involved with him at Scotch College uh, a couple of years ago, he's such a smart forward. He, he is a natural forward. He can play down back because he can intercept and he's marked. But if he's got to play on a player at whatever he is, the old term, six foot eight or six foot nine, he's not going to have many opponents, opponents his height. So that uh, flexibility of turning around or agility to turn around. But uh, I, I think he's a forward and maybe he's the backup ruckman for Tim English. And um, I think, um, oh, no, there's a lot as well, but I, I think they'll rotate through the bench. He's only a kid, uh, but I think he'll start on the bench and with a view they're coming on to test them, uh, to test Melbourne with, a, with the air. So yeah, he's such a talented player. 208 centimetres, according to the media guide. It says Tim English is 208 centimetres as well. And so yeah, interesting, Scotch College, you've seen him up close. I'll never forget going to a Brownlow medal about 15 years ago and standing next to Aaron Sandilands and just going, my God, are you real? Like, it's just how tall? Like, is Sam Darcy that tall? Uh, um, Aaron was 211. So Sam Darcy, yeah, he's 208. He's grew a little bit. Yeah. So he, he's such good hands and he, he reads the play so well. And he's, Got quite good, like he's not super quick, but he's got good speed for a guy his height, and he's got good agility for a guy his height. If he you're comparing with a one ninety seven like a like a Jamara, he hasn't got anywhere near his speed or agility because he's a he's a different size. But for his height, he's got he, he's got and got quite good skills. So um, I think they're I think they're bringing him along very nice. They didn't rush him last year. Probably won't rush him this year as well. I think you know it'll be another two years before he starts to really. Uh, be a fruit, but he's he's such a talented player. But he was a scary opposition. He was, you know, a scary opponent for some from some teams if he gets going. All right, uh, really tough tip this one, almost the toughest one of the round, I reckon. What what are you going? Yeah, um, I think it'll be close again, but I'm leaning towards Melbourne. I I believe that last year they got ahead of themselves. Even though a 10-0, they weren't winning the game. So there were signs there. There were signs there that they were going to tip over. They'd just get over the line. Fritch would kick a goal here and there. They'd get up and win. You see some selfish signs at times. I think like their premiership, I think there's enough needle now to bounce back. I think they've got a motivating force. I don't think they had the motivating force last year. And I think they'll get off to a good start. All right, margin? 11 points again. Now I'll go nine. Go nine. Okay, mixing it up a bit. Good to see. Um, look, this really is toss of the coin for me. But ultimately, I am tipping the Western Bulldogs to win the Premiership Rocket. So I feel like... You go um, yeah, they can lose games during the year. So They, they, they can, can, I know. Build, but I, can build, yeah. I, just, I just feel like there's an important uh, statement I need to make here on the tipping front. So uh, with bated breath, I'm going to go for the Bulldogs by... Let's say 12 points. Okay, um, another game on Saturday evening up on the Gold Coast. Let's talk about that. Saturday evening, 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Gold Coast takes on Sydney. Now, this game, I had to look twice here because it's not at uh, Metricon Stadium. Metricon Stadium no longer exists. It is, however, at Heritage Bank Stadium. 
and uh, big hello to Heritage Bank, whoever they are. Um, I think uh, us traditionalists just are still calling it Carrara. Anyway, that's where the game is. It's on the Gold Coast. Uh, the Suns. Now, big things expected of the Suns this year under Stuart Dew. 10 wins and 12 losses last year. They finished 12th. Sydney, of course, going almost all the way. Runners-up against Geelong. They finished the year with 18 wins and seven losses. Uh, now, off-air, Brockett, we were just talking about a very interesting record about this matchup, and that is Gold Coast. Their recent record against the Swans, arguably better than any other team in the competition. The last six meetings between these two clubs, Gold Coast have won four of them, and that's after losing all of the first eight meetings. Uh, Gold Coast at home, uh, 5-3 over their last eight games. Uh, Sydney, over the whole journey at Carrara, are 9-7, and seven, but they've only played Gold Coast there once, in the last seven years, all the other games they've played there uh, have been in that uh, hub life oh, of yeah. uh, 2020, uh, which still looks a bit weird when you're looking at venues and yeah, matchups, etc. Um, interesting one, this Sydney, obviously uh, one of the big guns of the competition, but plenty expected of the Suns this year, Rocket. Yeah, there are expectations on them, and looking through what their prospective side uh, they might get out this week, it's quite a young team and. There's not a lot of stars with them. Their their, their backline's solid. Um, I think Collins and Graham and Ballard have done a, a really good job, but they're a solid defensive guys. Constable's come in uh, from Geelong and found a found a niche there. Miller's the star, obviously. He's missed the preseason, but he's a, such a naturally fit guy, you think he's not going to miss a beat. Uh, Jack Lacocious is one that can be frustrating for them. It's such a good user. May they use him behind the ball. Ben King's making a good comeback. I think the where they're going to, if they're a chance to win it, is Jared Witts. Um, he, he, if he can dominate, and he, he rucks for most of the day, but gets his hand on the ball and gives Raul, Anderson, Miller, Swallow um, some first use of it, that's where they can test. And that's that's where they'll test the Swans, and that's where the Swans have got to answer. And particularly seeing the Swans are without Tom Hickey. Um, I think he's out for about the first two or three games with a hamstring injury. So um, he's a real war horse, Jared Witts, isn't he? He's been absolutely outstanding for the Suns. Yeah, yeah, he's a fantastic player. And he's, uh, he's you know, he's durable. I know he had a, he hurt his knee, I think, a, a year before last. But he's he's turned himself into a really good player. You know, you mentioned Jack Lacocious. Um also thinking about Matt Rowell, Noah Anderson seems to have almost overtaken Rowell as the potential superstar among them. But for all their talk about Gold Coast young talent, I look at them as a group and wonder, you know, are there superstars among that group? Now, Ben King's coming back. Obviously, he's a massive addition for them. Um but you know what I'm getting at here? I just like a look yeah. at the group of young players. Yeah. It's sort of a name of moderate names. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do they they need that, more. That's right. So they obviously they play well together and play a good system. And uh, um, so I, I've got a feeling that Sydney have underestimated them in the past. Yeah. I reckon Sydney, the last few years, oh, yeah, we'll just turn up and win. And Sydney cannot afford to have that attitude, especially after their belting last year in the grand final. If they do that and slip games along the way, they mightn't get back to top four. So they've got to make every post to win. And they've got a talented side. It's nearly the same as last year, except for Hickey. I mean, our forward, we don't know about Franklin, what he's going to do, but Goulden seems as if he's gone to another level. Mills is a star. Heaney's been a very good player, but as I said last week, I reckon he's got to go to another level. 
Uh, McDonald's looks like he's starting to show some signs as a forward, but he's got to grab his opportunity now. And at those younger players who've been there three, four, five years now, Blakey, McInerney, uh, Haywood, uh, Ollie Florent, those type of guys, they're the ones now they've got to take. Tom Papley's obviously been a very good player. Have take have got to take the team over. Well, you mentioned my love child there. Long before I got on the chat, I was a, a bit of a fanboy of Justin McInerney. And in terms of going to that next level, he, for me, is the the pick of the crop. Just beautiful skills. I think he's he's got a really good footy brain. Um, hasn't necessarily had that consistency, but he's a guy who can really help propel him uh, further again, I think, this year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, those types of like Jake Lloyd, we know has been a good player, but Campbell... Uh, Goulden, those ones now, Robottom, they've been there for three or four. They're the whole group, and I think John Longmire's done a terrific job of getting introducing these players and still win games. And now it's now's the time to strike. Now the time they don't rely on Buddy Franklin and uh, Josh Kennedy's gone. So it's really for these younger players to really take the take over the team. I also have a theory that you know they're less likely to suffer from the grand final smashing factor too because of their youth I I, I just I, I don't know look I could be wrong but I just think that they're more likely to see it as another step in the learning curve rather than say um, you know Adelaide for example when they got belted in 2017 it was sort of like oh no that was our chance and we blew it you know what I mean yeah oh for sure there's no doubt about it. and I think I think John's smart enough they'll be they'll be spoken about in the right context but they certainly need to take some learnings out of that but they as I mentioned before, they can't take the Gold, Gold Coast Suns easy or and you know, be comfortable and just say there's a matter of turning up and winning. I mean, they need to be really on on song. And if they bring their close to their A-grade game, I think they can win this game. All right, tip and margin. Um, I think the Swans by 19 points. Okay, I'm going for Sydney by 24 points. All right, uh, three more games to finish off the round, all of them on Sunday. Let's talk about them. First game on Sunday afternoon is 1.10pm Eastern Standard Time. It is a giant stadium in Sydney and it features GWS taking on Adelaide. The Giants, of course, uh, first game for Adam Kingsley as senior coach. Been a long time coming for him and good luck to the young man. Uh, GWS's 2022 record, pretty miserable. 16th with just six wins and 16 losses. Adelaide. Um, third year under Matthew Nix last year, and the incremental improvement continues. Pretty slow, though. Eight wins, 14 losses. They finished 14th last year. Uh, GWS have won four out of six against Adelaide at this venue. The Crows, two, three wins, losses at Giants Stadium. Um, Two more sides we haven't necessarily heard a lot about in these parts, and I speak of Melbourne, Anyway, over the summer, Rocket, um, obviously a major rebuild going on for the Giants. The Crows, well, they need to start showing a bit of tangible improvement, I think. How do you see this one going? Yeah, I think I think your point about Adelaide's right, that uh, a tangible improvement rather than just a one-game uh, more win. Uh, I think their biggest issue we discussed last week is their midfield. I just uh, crouches out now with all due respect to, he's just an accumulator. He doesn't really hurt teams too much. It's death by a thousand cuts. There's not really anyone, except for Rory Laird, who's a star. I mean, he's a super player and it's a beautiful kick. There's not a lot 
else. Keys has done a really good job for them. Uh, he's tagged and uh, gone in there, but they've got a lot of talent up forward. Um, they can kick some goals and ranking coming into that um, as well. Tex, we don't know how he's going to be at his age. Uh, Himmelberg, McAdam, Fogarty. So they've got enough talent there. I, I just think they're midfield and I'm worried about their down back. Um, I I like the Giants. I saw a little bit of them against the Suns. The Suns kicked the first two or three goals and you think, oh, here we go with the Giants. But I know you say a rebuild. That they've still got some super talent like Kelly, um, Green, both Greens. Tom Green's really come on. Cornelio, um, Whitfield, um, Haynes. This Callahan's going to be a real good player. Lockie Ash. Um, if Bruce can keep his aggression the right way, I think they've got a, uh, the makings or the bones of a pretty good side. Oh, that's why I, I don't think they'll make the eight, but I think they'll be up the top half of the uh, top half of the ladder. So I think they can win this. It's a good point about their experienced players. They didn't necessarily get a heap out of them last year, did they? With the exception of Cornelio. I mean, Toby Green obviously, you know, had that. Uh, delayed start to the year because of suspension, et cetera, et cetera. Whitfield was injured a bit. Uh, yeah. Did, Kelly did, had a down year. Tom Green played really well. He was one that stood up. So um, Hogan was okay for them. Um, probably kicking goals is going to be their their issue down the track. But I, I like their defence. Haynes, Taylor's a really good player. Isaac Cumming jumped up. Lockie Ash and Whitfield on the flanks. So they, so I think their defence is okay. So I, I, I don't think they're as bad as what people think they're going to be. Well, I want to throw one at you, uh, Harry Himmelberg, because I really liked him as a forward, and then they they moved him down back. Uh, what do they do with him now? If their defence has sort of improved a bit, do they need to keep playing him down back? Um, it's been an interesting one. Obviously, he's. I think they put him down back because he couldn't touch it there for a while. I think he really struggled and. And showed by him going down back how smart he was because he just kept on winning the ball. He was the he was the interceptor, and the, so I think that gives them that option at times. But I would start him forward because you got Hogan, whether Riccardi plays, you got Daniel Lloyd, but just having that extra another height. I think with their game plan changing, I think Himmelberg will respond by playing forward, have that forward momentum. Quick movement of the ball, not going backwards, not going sideways, not having um, uncontested marks up the ground. I think by by going forward and going quickly, and they've got enough talented players that are enough run. I think Himmelberg Himmelberg will actually flourish under that. So you got Himmelberg, Hogan, and um, Toby Green up forward. It's um, it's decent, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Not too bad. Riccardi showed a little bit at times. Uh, Daniel Lloyd can can actually chip in. So Cornelio can go forward. So um, obviously they've got Perryman and Cal Ward as well as a backup. So, yeah, I don't think they're too bad a side. So I think at home, um, again, a new coach factor, I think I think they can win first up. What uh, Do you have any thoughts about Adam Kingsley, what sort of coach he's going to be in terms of the, the type of game we think they're going to play? Oh, I think it'll be very Richmond based. I think yeah. I saw a bit uh, was quick movement, um, forward momentum. So mistakes, get the ball going forward, handball forward, soccer it forward, forward momentum. Um, let's not muck around with it. Let's not go sideways and back. Let's not defend with ball in hand. Uh, some some clubs have done in the past. It's going to be interesting to see whether that frenetic sort of constant forward movement thing still still has the same. Um, Premium, I guess, with the changes to the rules and how the, the game has become a bit more flowing and corridor-centric and a little more open with the, the stand yeah. rule, et cetera? 
Well, I think it accentuates even more that it'll be for momentum. It's about how you defend that and how I think there'll be a bit of some teams, the better teams, and maybe Geelong found that good balance where they were a bit more defensive with their ball movement. They did move forward, but it was still a controlled uh, measure so they could still defend if there was a turnover. So I think there'll be a bit of both employed. Like there'll be the frenetic and then at times, okay, we can just be measured um, on what I call scoring tempo. We'll tempo the game, but we still want to score out of it, but we'll just just take some speed off the ball. All right. Uh, margin and tip on this one, please. Well, I think GWS for me, 25 points. I think they can, um, they, I think they can win this easily. Okay, you're uh, very enthusiastic about the Giants, Rocket. Uh, might be looking for a bit of a coaching gig with uh, the new boy, Adam Kingsley. No, I was 50-50 about this one, but you might uh, you might have just talked me into the Giants, I think, at home too, where they tend to play better footy. So, yeah, I'm going to go for the Giants. Six points for me. What was your margin again? Sorry, 20... 25. 25. Whew, blowout. In fact, that's that's the longest margin we've had in any yeah. so far. We're conservative tipsters here. All right, uh, second game on the agenda on Sunday, and it's oh, it's those. Uh, it's us. It's us. <laughs> it's, us. It's, it's us. It's us. It's our first <laughs> battle of the season. Talking, of course, about the Hawks and the Bombers. Let's do it. Those great foes of the 1980s still slugging it out at the MCG. 3.20 Sunday afternoon, it's Hawthorne taking on Essendon. Well, let's be honest, not much expected of either club this year. Essendon have a new coach, of course, in Brad Scott. Uh, The Bombers' 2022 record, 15th. They finished just seven wins and 15 losses. The Hawks finished 13th with eight wins and 14 losses. Um, the Bombers have won four of their last five against the Hawks. They did lose infamously their round one clash two years ago after being 40 points up. Um, Hawthorne, 2-6 from their last eight games at the MCG. Essendon, even worse, Rocket, 12 games at the MCG for just two wins. Uh, might be a nil or draw this one. What do you reckon? <laughs> it's interesting. I, I think... Um... Now, we're, most people, including us, probably think that Hawthorne will finish below Essendon on the ladder. But the difference for me is that Hawthorne seem to have a plan. The way they're going to go, the, Essendon, to me, don't seem to have a plan of how they're going to get back up the ladder. And we spoke off camera about recruiting experienced players, thinking we're closer than what we are, then we go backwards, and then those players aren't there anymore, and then we've got to rebuild again. And now Brad Scott said, oh, well, Perhaps we've got to get more youth, and it's like you, you actually. Uh, and he may be right, but he's just started, so that's not the message that the board and the supporters want to hear. Because they're thinking, well, we've done, we've had this for six and seven, eight years. Um, so the difference is Hawthorne seem to be, and they maybe may end up down the bottom of the ladder. But I think they've got a definite plan. They've got some really good talent, and um, I think they'll be better in the first half of the year. Um, fresh, and what I think the season will get them in the end as the grind. But so I, I, I'm leaning towards. I think they can win this. The, the interesting thing with the Hawks is that they're probably now doing what you're talking about after a few years. I mean, they topped up, yes, uh, majorly for a long time. And there's topping up and topping up, isn't there? They topped up to win flags, getting on for ten years ago. Now they then did that potentially more damaging topping up, where you just sort of maintaining your place as a competitive yeah. side. Yeah, and that's right. And that's right. You're treading water. 
Yeah, and and they've re- definitely bitten the bullet now, haven't they? O'Meara gone, Mitchell gone, Gunston gone, uh, Shields, uh, Howe. There's a few others, I think. Uh, yeah, and they did a few last year as well. Uh, McAvoy retired. So yeah, I think, as Dermot said, they probably did it two years too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he didn't criticise that because they probably, they probably again, internally, or maybe some people, including the coach, thought they were closer than what they really were. Well, they weren't close, to be honest. Uh, but when you've got the record behind you, you can convince people. But So I think it was two years too late. Um, but they've gone and they've, They've cut deep and they've bitten the bullet. Um, some really good kids and they're enthusiastic at the moment. I think uh, their plan, they'll have a definite plan. I, you know, we haven't spoken really about tactics at all in any other games, but I think Finn McGuinness will go to either Parish or Merritt and he's turned into a really good tagger and he can play outside as well as inside. So he's a rare beast as a tagger. Um, so I think he'll he'll have a job and I think if, if he can do his job, whichever one it is, and cut them out, I reckon it'll really starve the Bombers of their of their forward momentum uh, getting the ball inside 50. Uh, the big uh, worry personnel-wise for the Hawks, I mean, clearly their stocks are going to be thin in terms of depth. Massive absentee for them is Mitch Lewis. Uh, strained his ACL in January. Um, reckon he's looking at about five or six weeks out. So that that's going to be really costly for them because Kaczynski aside, you know, who are the key targets down there. That said, look, I'm looking at Essendon, and again, we talked about this off air, no Jake Stringer. They've been very dependent upon Stringer in the last couple of years, too dependent on him. Who else gets the job done for them? Um, we talked about their young players being lacking durability, very injury-prone. We're talking there about Jones, Cox, uh, Reed, etc. They just don't get on the park enough. Um, midfield depth might have a, a bit more than the Hawks. I mean, the Hawks' midfield is going to be their most vulnerable part of the ground, I think, just very young and very raw, as good as players like Newcomb are, really like him. But uh, I guess the capacity of Corwell and Hobbs are two who... Um, a bit iffy on the injury front, but at this stage looks like they might be available. Heard an interesting story during the week about Essendon potentially using Kyle Langford off half back, um, which is an area of the ground they haven't used him before. Uh, he's got decent disposal, Kyle, so uh, there's a chance to use him productively. But I don't know. I'm looking at Essendon's lineup across the board, Rocket, and it's the the defence is pretty raw and. It well, doesn't, doesn't it, excite me. Doesn't no, excite I think me. you said about Hawthorne with Lewis out, but Essence defence, I, I don't think it's going to harm the Hawks too much with Bruce and Wingard. Uh, they, they might need the tools. So Fergus Green's going to get his chance. I don't know how he's, a, he's an older player, Kaczynski as well, but he's been inconsistent. But the tall defenders of Essendon, so whether they throw Reeves or a meat down there just to test it, but Impey, so they've, they've got some, Dylan Moore's been a really good player for them, jumped up, played the midfield as well. So I think they can kick some goals, the Hawks, against the Bombers. I, I don't know if they're playing against the Melbourne if, uh, with the side they've got, the, would they would they trouble their defence? Probably not, but I I don't I can see the Bombers, that's one of their weaknesses in the areas. As I said, if McGuinness shuts out Merritt or shuts out Parrish, um, I... I I think the Hawks, I know there's no names. You know, Warple needs to stand up. Uh, they've got Dylan Moore and they've got McDonald and a few other un- unknown players. Uh, but they seem, McKenzie have had really good pre-seasons. So 
I um, I got a feeling the Hawks will will get up, and um, it's a reunion of the um, 1983 Premiership, which you'd be really happy about. Uh, <laughs> Rowan, they've had it coincide with playing Essendon, so whether that uh, adds a bit of um, added spice to it, I'm not too sure, but it shouldn't. But uh, I think the Hawks can get up in this one. Is uh, Colin Robertson going to be at the reunion rocket? Now, as far as I know, he will be. Yes. Oh, good. I, Tim yeah, coming. I was going to get Tim to snake <laughs> up on King, hit him from behind and take him out of the reunion and then win a Norm Smith medal for it. Of course, that was a day. Oh, geez, that was a shocking day. You did play very well that day, uh, Rocket. In fact, uh, a score thought that you might have won the Norm Smith medal in that game. Were you robbed? Uh, no, I was robbed in 86, not, eight, not Oh, 86, that's right. You were you were just fair in 83, were you? No, I was okay. I was okay. Yeah, Most no, players play well when you win by 80 points. Yeah, we're a bit, you were the big occasion player. Uh, all right, sorry, what was your margin again for Hawthorne? No, I didn't pick the margin, but I oh. think the Hawks can win by 15 points. 15 points. I'm going, with bated uh, breath, I'm going for Essendon by four points. Uh, boy, the natives will be restless if they don't win, though, in a shock twist. Uh, all right, one game of the round left. Let's do it. The final game of the opening round is at Marvel Stadium, 4.40pm Sunday afternoon, and it sees St Kilda taking on Fremantle. The Saints' 2022 record, 11 wins, 11 losses, and a finish of 10th. Fremantle, 16 wins, 7 losses and a draw, finished 6th, of course, uh, winning a final against the Western Bulldogs. Very evenly matched uh, for a long time, those two sides. Their record over the last 10 years is 7 wins apiece. Um, St Kilda at Marvel Stadium last year had a 6-6 six and six record. Fremantle at Marvel Stadium have actually been pretty handy of late. In fact, they've only lost one of their last six appearances there, four wins and a draw against Richmond, their return from their away trips to Marvel Stadium. St Kilda, of course, uh, massive injury toll, which uh, I'll run through in a minute, Rocket, but I just want to get your initial thoughts on this one. You'd think Fremantle are going to probably, well, should be able to get the job done here. Yeah, I I think so. I think you you don't always just look at, at, uh, at paper, but their talent on their paper, on the paper, is is so much more than the Saints. They're obviously impacted by injuries. Um, but I thought Fremantle were pretty good last year. Um, I thought uh, their ability to win games, they played some really fast-flowing footy. They defended well. Uh, Brayshaw really stood up. Sarong as well. You imagine that they would go another level again. They've got some improvement left in them. Jackson's a good in, obviously. Fife back. Now, it's unknown how he's going to be, but such a strong player as a, a you know, you've got Tabiner and Jackson. I mean, then who do you play on five? Uh, he, he's the sort of player that could cause havoc. Um, uh, Ryan and Pierce down back. Walters playing is, again, Darcy's a really good ruckman. I think they're a really balanced side. Amira will help to take some body. He'll replace Mundy. He hasn't got the class of a David Mundy, but he'll have that bigger body. Uh, will help as well. So I think they're a really well-balanced side. Will Brody took a step last year, so they're finding youngsters. I know we don't follow them as much here in the in the on the on the East Coast, but um, I think Hayden Young down back. I think they've got a, a balance of a really good side that's only going to get better. I, I look at Fremantle initially and I go, gee, they've lost a fair bit of experience and, and quality there, haven't they? But they've they've gained plenty too. I mean, Amira's particularly good in for them. I just wonder. Yeah, Amir has never, for me, quite lived up to the billing he had 
as a young draftee. I just wonder if, you know, sort of back on home turf, he finally starts playing the sort of footy we we thought oh, he might. His body, I think his knee, when I first went to the Gold Coast, he had a big knee operation in London, which I didn't know about was going to happen. And he never, in my three years there coaching, he never played a game. So he had really, and I think it robbed him of his pace and agility. And um, I think Hawthorne have done a really good job to get him back on the park. So I've just noticed a change in his body over the years. So much bigger. He's bigger than most midfielders and he plays a tough game. Like, mm. I think, you know, he's smart enough. He just hasn't got the agility. He used to have unbelievable agility, you know, get around players. And I think he's kicking suffered as well. So I think he's just adapted his game. I think he's been a good player for Hawthorne. I think he'll be a good player for Fremantle, but he'll play that bullocking, uh, feed it out, tougher, tougher role. Interesting. No, it's an interesting uh, firsthand anecdote. I mentioned St Kilda's injury list. It's ridiculous. Round one, I counted them last night. There are 14 players on their official injury list headed into round one. Yeah, but on that too, yeah. I used to know too, the clubs when they have a list that would say, oh, you've got 14. But how many of that 14 would play in round one? How many would play in the senior team? Well, these ones. I'm glad you asked me, Rocket, because here are the details. Yeah, Let's run through them. Uh, Billings, uh, out for six to nine weeks. Caulfield, out for four to six. Hayes, remember him? Ten to 12 weeks. Yeah, but he didn't play at all last year, so I'm not counting him. Yep. All right, roll him off. Okay, yep. you're gonna you're gonna be like this, eh? Hey? All yes. right, Zach Jones, uh, Achilles, yeah. indefinite. Max King, shoulder. Does he get a game rocket? Max King. Yeah, he sneaks in. Yeah, okay. Six to nine. Mackenzie calf, indefinite. Membry knee to be confirmed. Ross calf, one to two. Windhager hand test. Now, surely you would say of that lot, Billings, Coffee. No, I got seven. I got seven. If you count Windhager, if he doesn't play, that's eight. Well, I'm going Billings, Caulfield, Jones, King, Membry, Ross, Windhager. Yeah, seven for me too. Yeah, thanks very much. Do you think I can't count? Uh, I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> just helping you out. But that's that's a, 14. So that's, that's, 14. That's a third of a side though. Oh, it is. Yeah. 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 Been through, all coaches go through that at some stage. So, yeah, that's just – and they're a side that need their better players playing. Exactly. That's that's my point. I mean, they of, of anyone, they can't afford to have that much yeah. talent missing. Out of, that, out of that seven, there'd be four or five that are really in their top ten. So they're, they're the ones that hurt you. It's not so much your know, 17th, 18th player. So, and they're really good, talented players who, who can make a difference. So that will feel the pinch. There's no doubt they'll feel the pinch about that. Um, um, new coach, new style. Uh, I just think it'll take them a little bit of time, um, especially with those injured players. So I think it'll be tight early. I think it'll be interesting balance with Ross Lyon, who's been a defensive coach. Games opened up, think he's got, but now without the players, do you actually make a focus of defending for really hard, which is, which is only fair enough to be able to keep yourself in a game to be able to pinch it? That's exactly what I was thinking. He might have all the best intentions in the world, Ross, of changing up and becoming more positive or whatever. But in this situation, he almost can't be. He's almost got to go back to that, you know, sort of yeah. gritty, don't don't give away anything sort of mentality. Yeah. yeah, I think you cut your cloth to what you've got available. There's no good saying, well, we're going to play a certain way and you just haven't got the tools to be able to deliver that. So it'll be, yeah, I think I think they defended really well against Essendon. Uh, they uh, really forced pressure on the ball carrier, got numbers around the ball. I think we'll see more of that. Um, I think if Fremantle come, it's again, it's a big mental game, uh, all, the, all the games we play, that if Fremantle come over, think they're just going to turn up and win, 
they will lose. They've got to respect the opponents and know that they've just got to bank the four points. Um, if they do that and have that mental aspect to it, I'm, I think they can win easily. All right, tip and a margin, please. Um, Fremantle by 29 points. Oh, good thinking, because I'm thinking uh, similarly. I think they can get the job done. Fremantle by 28 points for me, which means that we differ on two games in this round. You've gone the Hawks, I've gone Essendon, and you've gone Melbourne. I've gone the Western Bulldogs. Fascinating uh, round one, so let's see how it unfolds. That's uh, that's it for this first round preview edition of Footyology. Just a quick one, Rocket, that 1983 reunion, you will be there. Yes, there you go. Where, where is it? On the Saturday, it's at Zinc restaurant in Fed Square, then on the Sunday with the President's uh, lunch and then watch the game. Um, Essendon Hawthorne game. Is uh, Dermot Brereton going to revert to his natural hair colour in, in well, the celebration? Well, I don't know if will be there because uh, Dermot works in the media, so I don't know his games, whether they conflict or what the case may be. I saw on an email list yesterday, he was the only one not mentioned on it, so perhaps, uh, perhaps he's not going to be there. Uh, disappointing. I'm, I'm sort of tipping the way this is going to pan out, Rocket, in, in sort of mimicking the Essendon Hawthorne rivalry of the 80s. Your reunion's going to be pretty good. 84 is going to start off slowly for Essendon, but it's going to turn into one of the great uh, reunions of all time. <laughs> and then 1985 is just going to be an absolutely dominant reunion in which they will stamp their greatness on uh, reunion history. What a stupid analogy that is. Anyway. The 96 uh, forget to turn up. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I knew that, I knew there was an annoying uh, postscript to that story, but uh, <laughs> no, well, you don't have any shortage of reunions to go to, so uh, uh, enjoy it. Keep yourself nice for no, our next no, recording session next no Wednesday. Uh, good oh, fun. Um, thanks, everyone. We'll catch you again next week. 